Hello and welcome to episode 81 of Inside the WDF with me, Andrew Sinclair. Well, I called for it on last week's show. I called for the World Darts Federation to make a swift decision on the final lineup for the Men's World Championship at Lakeside in April. And I'm pleased to say that by the time we got to this week's show, they'd done exactly that. They announced on Sunday that they'd done a deal with the PDC for special dispensation to be given to the seven men who were in the original lineup for the tournament before it got postponed that then went on to, to win tour cards at Q School. I was alerted to the possibility of this arrangement sort of the mid to end of last week and I have to say when I heard it did surprise me. I've run through the, the different options I thought the WDF should pursue or could pursue to fill those seven spots on the shows over the last couple of weeks and it was never something I even mentioned. You know, I assumed it was off the table because, first of all, it absolutely would never have happened in the past. Uh, but two, the speed with which players were taken out and replaced at the World Seniors, I just thought, well, you know, if it doesn't work for the seniors, that's definitely not going to be on the table for the WDF. But obviously, it very much was on the table. The PDC were receptive to it. And I'm delighted that it's worked, and it's worked in a way that the players have the choice. If they want to, if they want to play at Lakeside, they know they're probably going to have to miss a couple of Pro Tours and a, a Euro Tour qualifier, but they have the opportunity to win the World Championships at Lakeside, which is a phenomenal thing to add to their CV, and then they go back to the Pro Tour for the rest of this year and also next year. Of the seven players, five have accepted, and you've got to think all five of them that have accepted, which I'll touch on in a minute, you'd think all five of them would fancy their chances to go all the way in April and actually win that trophy and the £50,000 top prize. You've also got to think that Barry Hearn would chuckle a fair bit if it was one of his players that went over and won the uh, WDF World Championship. But in all seriousness, it's a very positive step. I'm not going to take it as a you know, a sign of broader cooperation. It could easily be a one-off thing born out of circumstance. It's certainly good to see the WDF and the PDC seemingly on the same page after obviously there was some feeling that they very much weren't with clashes in the women's series and obviously the clash with Q School on the original Lakeside dates. Now looking at the seven players who had qualified originally Brian Roman, Ross Montgomery, Nick Fulwell, Jules Van Dongen, Cameron Menzies, Connor Scott and Mario van den Bochade. Two have turned it down. I'm a little disappointed we won't get to see Mario there because I think the way he's playing at the moment, he would have been one of my favourites to go all the way. But I'm not super surprised on Ross Montgomery. He was never a huge fan of the venue. And despite being quite anti-PDC for a long time, he seems to have made a decision to take the PDC route now. And I think he's deadly focused on that and fair play to him I think if he can play to his best he'll definitely be competitive and he obviously wants to make sure he's there for every weekend but for the other five that are going to be there Brian, Nick, Jules, Cameron and Connor I think they've all got a fantastic chance to do very well and there's also the possibility that their performances in the early stages in the Pro Tour could help the WDF if they do well on the Pro Tours or they give a very good account of themselves at the UK Open, that hopefully could be something the WDF could capitalise on marketing-wise. In terms of the draw, obviously losing just two players makes it a lot easier to 
adjust things, particularly when only one of them was a seeded player. Ross Montgomery originally was set to meet the winner of Aaron Turner against Jim McEwen. Aaron Turner was the highest ranked player not seeded in the original draw, so Aaron now moves ahead as the seed into the last 32, and he'll now play the winner of Jim McEwen against Russia's Roman Ubikov. So Roman qualified originally and turned it down because he couldn't afford to come in December. He obviously now is in a better position and the door was open to him again and he decided to take that opportunity and fair play to him. Hopefully he can find some form and he can and make a competitive game of it against Jim in April. The other change was Mario. He was originally supposed to be playing a close friend of his, John Desremo. They only live about 400 metres apart in Belgium. Well, obviously Mario's gone and John will now be playing Donovan Lottering from Australia, who I'm hopeful will be getting on the show in the next couple of weeks. By and large, I was very happy with the news. I think the field now looks really strong, and it's probably the best possible outcome for the WDF. I know there was some frustration, though, and frustration from some players in the field. Neil Duff, James Harrell, Andy Bartons were among those I saw airing their frustrations on Facebook on Sunday. They say that they were told in January that if you go to Q School and you get a tour card, you won't be able to play at Lakeside. Well, obviously, there are players who did just that and are now playing. So you can understand there's some frustration. But I also wonder if there's an element of something else there. I also feel that it's easy to make that criticism that, oh, well, you said and then it's not worked out that way. But the WDF weren't to know how many players got tour cards. If more than seven had got tour cards, I find it harder to believe that the PDC would have given them dispensation because then they're losing a much more sizable number of their professional players. Conversely, if it was only two or three, again, the PDC were more likely to offer dispensation, but also two or three players is easier to replace. There were originally three reserves for January, John Scott, Jason Brandon and John O'Shea. You know, you could have tapped into John and Jason if only a couple of people had got tour cards and it would have been easy as that. Um, it was one of those things, and I think the WDF have made the best of it. They obviously now need to turn their attention to marketing overdrive over the next two months. And hopefully everybody, you know, listener of the podcast or just fan of amateur darts can get behind that and can help to support them with buying tickets themselves or encouraging others to do so wherever they can. Anyway, moving on to this week's guest, I'm really happy with this week's show. The first guest is America's Kevin Luke, and he's someone who will be playing at Lakeside in April, opening his account against Steve Hine. I spoke to Kevin last week to discuss qualifying for the World Championships, winning the ADO Nationals for the first time in January. He's WWE-inspired walk-on and much more besides. I'm now delighted to be joined by the ADO National Champion, Kevin Luke. Kevin, how are you? Not bad. Good to have you on the, the show, sir. You won the, the ADO Nationals a couple of weeks ago now. Talk me through that victory in Vegas. Well, I started off a little slow in the round-robin group. Lost my first two out of three, but then I finally found my darts and brought them together and ended up coming out of the group. Um, tied for first, but got the tie break over Stephen Phillips, and then it was just a gauntlet from there. I want to say I played Joe Cheney, um, 
Larry Butler. Boy, I know there's a couple others I'm missing along the way. But <laughs> they just kept steadily getting better as it went. And when that winning double went in in the final against Mike Newbert, you seemed pretty emotional, pretty overwhelmed. Was that a big, big moment for you? Yeah, it was. Because, um, I mean, I've only played that national championship event twice now since 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 I played played it as a youth. So it's been a long time in between. Well, I mean, we'll, we'll touch on the, the youth stuff because I know that's kind of quite a significant thing for you. We'll touch on that in a little bit. But, I mean, last year was a really good year for you. One of the, the highlights was you won your first event on the, the CDC tour. Oh, yeah. I, I, had to, I had to make it through to at least the finals that last day to make the championship. Got, some, got a few lucky breaks along the way, but it all came, to, all came together. And I mean, we're seeing so many more players now come through that CDC system and kind of compete with the, the big guys over here, you know, Danny Baggish, Danny Lauby, George Andongan. Do you feel that that tour is helping your game as well and helping you develop? Oh, it definitely is. Because um, where I live, there is really no steel tip whatsoever. So I'm going to have to, I have to travel everywhere. And the only way of getting better is by the better competition. So you're up in Washington State, right on the West Coast, aren't you? Yes. And is that is that where you've always been? Yep. Born and raised. Never left my hometown for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if there was no steel tip stuff, was it soft tip that you got into when you were younger? Um. Yeah, it's always been soft tip here. There was steel tip for a little while until I was about 15, and then that died out. But I was always playing both. And you're still playing both now, aren't you? Yeah. Nice. Kind of to, to keep on that, that focus on last year, 2021, you got to the final of the the Seacoast Open, which was your first WDF final. And of course, that had the, the golden ticket for, for Lakeside attached to it. You beat Leonard Gates, Bruce Robbins, Jim Long, a number of really good players. And in that final against Jules Van Dongen, you were 4-1 up. And then Jules came back to beat you, how tough a defeat was that final to take? Oh, yeah. it was it was not easy whatsoever. Um, like you can, like uh, a couple guys that I know, I, I went around the corner and I was a mess because <laughs> I knew I had it. And, but <laughs> but eh, it happens. <laughs> you learn from the mistakes. And I mean, after that tournament, I mean, there was a, there was one American event left after that. In Oregon, but at that point you hadn't picked up the golden ticket, and on the ranking table, you were outside the qualification places. Did you think at that point that you'd missed out on playing at Lakeside? Yeah, I thought I was going to be two or three spots outside. Um, I knew if I went to Oregon Open, the Oregon Open, I could probably get some points and maybe squeak it in. But it was also the same weekend as the Continental Cup Finals, and I didn't want to miss out on that. Mm. Yeah, exactly. But, I mean, you, you did, as you say, you were a couple of places outside, but then you got a call-up afterwards as, as a reserve. What was your reaction when, when someone from the WDF actually got in contact and said, hey, you know, here's a spot on the World Championship if you want it? Oh, I was I was completely shocked because I was already assuming, well, I missed out by a couple points. There's no chance. And then apparently, some couple of people decided to withdraw. So 
I'll take it. <laughs> and had qualifying for Lakeside, had that been a goal for you last year, or was that just something that would have been a nice bonus at the end? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't really thinking about it. I was more, I was really more focused on the CDC tour, but, you know, I kept doing good in the events that were ranking points, and I figured, hey, if I make that, that's even better. I suppose it was a bit of a whirlwind, really. You didn't think you were in, then you were in, and then only a couple of weeks later, the tournament got postponed. Was that a bit frustrating for you? Oh, yeah, I was getting everything straightened out and ready to go. I had just booked my ticket to go over there the day before it got postponed. <laughs> oh, wow. So did you manage to get your money back for, for that booking, or were you able to change it? Yeah, luckily they were able to refund it because it was within our like 24-hour grace period, so we'll go from there for April as long as that stands <laughs> the way it's supposed to. Well, yeah, of course. Do you feel that... I suppose obviously you were you were playing good stuff at the time and whatever, but do you feel that that delay of three months is going to be an advantage for you because you'll have more preparation time? I think it will, because in that time stretch, I was prob I probably played seven or nine weekends in a row, so I needed a little bit of a break. <laughs> hmm. I remember when you got the place, you sort of popped up on Twitter. And you were saying that you'd played at Lakeside back in the 90s. And it was, you know, it was a dream for you to, to kind of get back there. Was that in the, the World Youth Masters? Yeah, it was the Youth Masters back in 1993 and then again in 1995. Well, so, I mean, talk to me about those experiences. I mean, how, how were you? How did you qualify? And then how were the events themselves? had their national championships where you went through a regional qualifier and then they had the the youth finals when they had the North American Open in Las Vegas. So you just played a round robin and whoever had the most wins was the US champ and then they sent you over with the adult team. Mm. And back then that team was uh, Laurie Verrier, Stacey Bromberg, Paul Lim, Roger Carter, Larry Butler... Yeah, pretty impressive group of group of people to be travelling with. How old were you when you played the first one in '93? Um, when I won it, I was fourteen. Wow! So actually coming to the the UK, how did you find that experience? Was it kind of a bit overwhelming, or, or did you kind of did it give you the buzz? Was it you know I want more of this? Yeah, the first time I went, it was definitely crazy because I'd never I had never left. <laughs> this half of the west coast of the united states <laughs> but getting that year experience and watching everything made me want to keep playing and get more out of it and then after you know you said you played again there in in 95 did you carry on playing steel tip after that or did that kind of coincide when steel tip in your local area sort of died out i was still playing just not really traveling a whole lot who who was it that actually got you into darts? Was that someone in your family, or, or was it from watching it on the TV? Um, it was through my dad. Um, growing up, he was number one dart player here in, in the state of Washington for probably four or five years straight. So he had a board at the house, and he was playing. So one day I just started playing with him and stuck with it. <laughs> the success, really, for, for a long time, for more of it for you was in the, the soft tip 
side of things and you got to the, the World Championship final in in 2011. How, I mean, you know, we don't see a lot of those tournaments here in the UK. So what was that whole experience like of planning the, the soft tip World Championship? It was definitely a whirlwind flying all the way over to Hong Kong and, and, and it's a one and done situation over there. But it was definitely an experience. And do you feel you'll be able to kind of take any of the experience you had out there in Hong Kong and translate that for, for playing on the lakeside stage? I believe so. Because just a few years back, right before COVID, I act, I went over to the Masters when it was in Bridlington. And that's the first time I'd been over there since I was a youth. And I was a bag of nerves. <laughs> but after the first day, I got over it, so... <laughs> You're still playing soft tip now. Do you find it easy to switch between steel and, and soft, or does is it all just practice for you? Yeah, I don't have any issues whatsoever going back and forth, but I guess I've been playing so long, I'm just used to doing it. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose so. So you were saying that, you know, that the Masters, when you played it a handful of years ago, that was the first time you'd been over here in sort of 20, you know, 20 odd years, basically. So... What was it that, in the steel tip side, led you to sort of ramp up playing that side of it a lot more and, and playing in more of those events? Um, I mean, once I finally started watching, like, all the world championship stuff, and I was like, man, I want to do that someday. So I'm just... <laughs> it's got me more dedicated to try to stick to the steel tip. Hmm. Especially when um, I was on the US team in Romania for the World Cup. So I was like, I like this. Let's keep going. <laughs> I mean, how was that experience representing the, the USA? Uh, I mean, it was, it was definitely a little different from what I was used to because it had been so long. But I had good teammates, had good teammates with me that kept me right along and keeping us focused. We even had a good run lost in the quarters to Team England in the, in the decider. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. Obviously, as an Englishman, I was quite happy, but uh, I imagine you guys were. <laughs> I remember that 88 out. <laughs> <laughs> so looking ahead to, to Lakeside in a couple of months' time, have you made a decision yet on your walk-on song? Um, I do. Some people love it, some people don't. <laughs> what are you going to be coming out to? I grew up as a wrestling fan, and my favorite was Hulk Hogan. So I'm going to come out to his his theme music. <laughs> uh, as a fellow wrestling fan, I have an enormous amount of time for that. <laughs> <laughs> Got to come out to that real American. Turn the t-shirt off, throw it in the crowd. <laughs> uh, yeah, what are you going to do when Luca Mania runs wild on the the Lakeside crowd? Is there a nickname that you've got, wrestling-related or otherwise? No. Some people call me Cool Hand Luke, just because it, it go, it's, it's you know easy to do. But a lot of people call me FKL, and there's different variations of that you can choose on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll leave that up to the, the listener's imagination. Um, yep. <laughs> so you've got roughly two months now until you'll be coming over to the UK, 
What will preparation look like for you? I imagine there'll be a fair amount of practice at home, but in terms of events and, and online stuff, have you got a fairly busy schedule for the next couple of months? Um, I've got four competitions coming up before then. Mm-hmm. That are steel tip, and I've got three more soft tip in between. <laughs> but you're certainly going to get, you know, match prep. Are those steel tip ones, are they WDF competitions, ADO competitions, or, or a mix of the two? I believe two of them are WDF. Um, the Camellia Classic in California end of next month, and then uh, Virginia Beach, which is the weekend before Lakeside. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to go straight from there, straight over there. Ah, okay, so you won't be going home, Florida to Washington. It'll be straight from Florida to the UK. Yeah, because that tournament, I think, is over like on March 28th, so I need to be there. <laughs> so I'll just straight from the tournament, straight on the plane. <laughs> Obviously, this is going to be your your Steel Tip World Championship debut. Have you set any expectations for yourself, or are you not kind of putting any pressure on yourself? I at least want to get past the first round. I don't want to go over there and just <laughs> say, oh, thanks, that was fun. <laughs> but you got to take it a match by match. You never know. Hmm. Yeah. And you were originally drawn to play Steve Hine. Have they spoken to you about whether that's still going to be the case or whether you're going to have a new opponent? Um, they said they haven't decided, really, because I believe there was seven qualifiers. I got PDC tour cards. Mm. So I'm pretty sure they're just going to have to do a whole redraw. I don't see how you can just give extra buys to people. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I suppose I suppose it's not like you know, boxing or whatever, where you would be able to prep for a, for a specific opponent, you're playing the board, not the person. So in theory, it shouldn't matter who you're playing in the first round. Yeah. We're all there for a reason. So you gotta, there's not going to be no easy one. So whoever you play, you got to play. Well, exactly. Well, thank you so much for your time tonight, Kevin. I really appreciate it. And uh, I wish you all the best next couple of months and hopefully see you at Lakeside in April. I really enjoyed talking to Kevin and uh, I did have to laugh at the, the prospect of his walk-on. I think his game against Steve Hine is going to be fascinating. You know, you'll have Steve walking on, chucking muffins into the crown like nobody's business. And then you've got Kevin promising to come out to Real America and Hulk Hogan's old theme tune and ripping his shirt off and chucking it in the crowd. That sounds like what Darts was made of to me. And I very much look forward to that opening round game. I think it was interesting to hear Kevin say, you know, the postponement will probably mean he's fresher, despite the fact he's got, you know, seven competitions uh, between now and Lakeside at the start of April. He's certainly going to be match fresh. Um, And I also thought it was quite interesting that Kevin will be playing pairs with Jim Widmeyer, who was on the show last week at the Camellia Classic later this month. The second guest on this week's show is one of the men behind the Big Five Sports Management Group, Paul Brown. Paul called in from the airport lounge in Edinburgh to discuss the performance of his players at Q School, a review of a big 2021 for his team, a look ahead to a busy and hopefully even bigger 2022 for the team, and to kind of explain to me how the process of player recruitment in darts actually works. I'm now delighted to be joined by one of the men behind the Big Five Sports Management Group, Paul Brown. Paul, how are you? I'm good, thank you. And you, Andrew? 
Yeah, not too bad. Thank you, mate. I saw you were in my old stomping grounds earlier today up in Scotland. Well, I'm still there, actually. I'm, I'm sitting in the lounge at Edinburgh Airport waiting for my flight. So I've been up here for just over three days with Alan. Um, it's been pretty full on. I've enjoyed it. Been out for a walk, done some healthy stuff as well. So it's all, all good. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot a lot for us to, to talk about. You've got a very successful group of players at the moment, but first port of call, we're not that far removed from, from Q-Score, about two weeks now, and you've had two players, John O'Shea, Josh Rock, come through that. I suppose, first of all, this year, you didn't have the bubble that you did last year. So how did that compare for you? Was it easier or...? Um, whilst the bubble wasn't there, we sort of, not imposed our own one, but made the decision that we'd stay at the hotel, we'd keep as close to the hotel as we could. Um, you know, it's a bit like we did at the World Championships. Well, we had a house away from everybody else. We went back to the house at night. We practiced locally in the, the private club, and, and we just kept away. And like you're seeing people going down left, right and centre with COVID. And so it's just, it's just trying to avoid it, and sometimes it's impossible to avoid it, and if one person gets it, maybe everyone gets it. So that, that was really the, the theory at Q-School. So I mean, it, I went down on the 6th and took a load of gear up there and met the hotel manager and worked out what rooms we were going to have. Um, and then uh, Josh and John came down two days before it started and got set in, had a nice practice set up and everything like that, and kitchen in the room, cooking and doing all sorts of stuff like that. Um, so, yes, so, so, that, so that worked. But it was, yeah, just to keep keep away, really. And, and it was good because Milk Keynes is, is, is a great venue for Q-School because you've, you have got so much space and you don't have to be in the playing room when you're not playing. There's there's the practice room, there's many tables. So it, was, it, was, it kind of wasn't that much different from last year. Just obviously if you wanted to go for dinner, you could do that sort of thing. Uh, and we like, we like that venue. It's, it, it, it works for the darts. It's, it's a good setup. So. And you mentioned John and, and Josh coming down a little bit early and, and you getting down there early as well. How do you work out kind of the, the right level of preparation for the players? Because obviously you don't want them to, to over-practice, but at the same time you don't want everything to be a rush and, and then worrying about things. Oh, for sure. I mean, at the end of the day, obviously, you know, if they've got one hour flight, they're not going to be jet-lagged or anything like that, but it's still getting to the airport, checking in, the waiting, your flight, is it delayed, is it on time, getting to Milton Keynes. So if you've got an evening and a whole day and an evening just to unwind, do a bit of practice, do what you want to do, get your head right, and then go. It, it's got to be worth that extra expense and hassle to allow that to happen. You know, I wouldn't dream of flying in the last minute on the evening, or you, you just don't know, especially the weather at the moment. When the players are actually playing at Q School, I've seen what you do, you know, in floor events, but when they're playing at Q School, what are you, as their manager, what? are you doing are you looking at other results on your phone looking at the order of merit are you watching other people or are you just kind of trying to be everywhere at the same time you don't you don't really need to, to watch anybody else because the darts connect system so good and the ranking the darts is so good everything's there at your fingertips so we've got a laptop i've got my phone so i can keep an eye on all of that and it's just making sure they know like when you're on you're going to be on in about 15 minutes go and have a chuck just just being comfortable really as does this next door so we've always got tons of bottled water and nuts and bananas and whatever you whatever they need um so it's just yeah keep, keep them happy and occupied during the day and focused when they're ready to go because it is a bit of a drag to start with and then it 
it, it comes pretty thick and fast after that, which is just like the Challenge Tour and, and the Pro Tour. Once you once you get through the first round of games, there there's not much downtime. Josh and John both came through on the the last day in contrasting fashions. John was obviously in a good place to start the day, uh, but had the early exit, and there was a little bit of a a nervous wait. Were you going into the day? Were you still fairly confident that he was going to be all right? In, in the evening, we had quite a big discussion because he he's, um, he's got a problem with his leg. I can never remember what it's called. He would tell you. My daughter would tell you. I've got no idea what it's called. But he has a problem with his leg and it just twinged in the game when he was playing Ross Montgomery. And he was really struggling to stand up. And I, I said to him, you've got enough points and your leg difference is really good. You could just scratch tomorrow. And I could see exactly what was going in his head. What if I do that? And I miss out by a leg. You know, there was one guy that missed out by legs one, not even legs difference. If he won one more leg, he got a card. So that's how tight it comes down to. But at the end of the day, he, had, he, he, he was well clear. But he wanted to play. And, you know, that, that was fine. We, he, he did everything he could. And, and, and we did everything he could to make sure he was comfortable. And he was 5-2 up in that game, which would have guaranteed it there and then, no doubts. Um, and, and the other guy came back and then John just didn't get out. But I, th- I think he had a bit of a nervous two or three hours, but I, I wasn't too bothered about it. And just when, when it finally did go dark green, he was sat on his own in the room just watching Josh and the others. And um, yeah, he just come back, come up to me and just burst into tears. <laughs> <laughs> quite, quite an emotional little moment. But, but yeah, I mean, when he's put all that work in for years and years and for it to finally happen, it was, it was, it was a, a good time. And Josh obviously won it on the final day. He told John the the night before, I'm, you know, I'm going to win it tomorrow outright. That that's just the end of it. And I know you and Steve were very, very confident that Josh would come through Q Squad the first time of asking. Obviously, you knew he had a lot to do. How were you feeling about his prospects at the start of the final day? I just said to, I said to him in the morning before we went to breakfast, I said, just relax and enjoy today. I said, your focus, remember, is that you've got three years left on the development tour. And that is where you're going to learn the game and you're going to grow and develop and get, get better at, at, at PDC darts. Um, I said, so anything else is a bonus. So don't worry about points and what you've got to do. Just keep taking every leg and every game as, as it comes um, and, and see how it goes. And... <laughs> I don't know if he got confused the other day. I saw I heard in an interview where he, he said I asked him if he wanted to know what he needed in that in that semi final game, and I didn't. I just said to him, "You just take this leg by leg and continue to enjoy it." And I knew he only needed one leg, but he had no idea. But when I whispered in his ear after he won the semi, that, that was when uh, reality hit for him, and I, oh, I need to go to the toilet. It's <laughs> 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 just quite funny, but uh, yeah, no, it was a good moment. Oh, of course. <clears throat> and obviously Josh and, and John begin their Pro Tour adventures at the end of this week and there's obviously the World Seniors and a lot more this year. But kind of before we get into that, I want to look back to, to 2021 because as things got back to normal, it was quite a busy year and a successful year for, for the team. Now, the obvious place to start, really the only place to start, was Alan Suter. He won the PDC Newcomer of the Year Award. He absolutely smashed it and had that great run at Ali Pali, I know you were super high on him when you brought him in. Did the ease with which he took to it and the performances he produced, was that even beyond what you thought he might achieve on the first year? Um, not not really, no. Um, he came in with a very understated approach. I want to win a game. I want to do this. You know, no real huge aspirations. 
um, which I think is the right way. But then if you look at what he's done in his life, it, this is darts. He's been, you know, he's been in the forces. He's, he is a fireman. Uh, he's in danger many times a month. And now he is coming to play darts. So he, I think he's able to cope mentally with the game and the situation and how COVID affected last year and this year. And all stuff. I think he just deals with it better than many people. You know, when he came in into that first block of pro tours at Bolton, when the draws were coming out, you know, a lot of players, their heads would go straight down. And he was just like, oh, this is brilliant. I, I get to play him on my first day. You know, Adrian Lewis and then Peter Wright, Chizzy, uh, Nathan Aspinall. You know, it's all these people coming at you thick and fast in your first week and you're, and you're winning. That's what set, set the pattern. And if you speak to Alan, he, he was disappointed with like the mid-season. You know, he said, why am I not getting past the last 32? Why am I not doing this? But it, it's a hard room. And if, if you haven't already played a seed, you're going to get one <laughs> sooner or later. And it, yeah, it's, it is a tough room. And he's got to semi-finals in the pro tour. Um, and he's capable of getting you know, to finals and, win, and winning finals. But it's just all, all about experience. You know, when we, when we went to Europe in Hungary, fantastic time. And it, he won that first game and he won it well. But then he, scoring wasn't really there in the second game. And you can't do that against Brendan. And, you know, it's, 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 every day is like a new step and a new learning, a new lesson learned. But it's how you deal with that and taking it on. And he does deal with it and he does go and practice and he does do the right things to bring something to the table the next time. Hmm. Um, you know, he's got a great setup at home. He's got good lads around him that come and practice and Sean will come down from Aberdeen or, or Alan will go up, up to Aberdeen and, and Damon will come up and you know, they're doing some good stuff. Um, and it's just them bringing that game to the match board, which, which he's more than capable of doing and he's shown that on, on many, many times. And obviously the World Championships was, was just an amazing run. And again, he didn't play anywhere near his A game, maybe two sets against Jose. We're, we're Alan's A game, but other than that, it, it was just guts and, and fighting through. And of course, you know, he won, he won the first set against against Callum, and that that broke the the pattern, and that's that's, that, that's where that all went wrong. But oh, and Callum played really well, of course. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, good, great first year. Yeah, of course. And I suppose I know you said that with Q School, you, you're not necessarily watching other people, but with the Pro Tour, where it's the kind of fixed group of guys every time you're there. For you as a manager, is there an element of maybe keeping an eye on another game so that, you know, when Alan or Nick or whatever is playing that person, you're like, well, that person tends to sort of jangle their darts when they're not throwing. It could put you off just so you're aware. Is there an element of that kind of thing to prep the player? Obviously, every game that they're involved in, you're watching and, and, and what have you. And some of the players, you know, from past days on the BDO or just, just from being around them. I mean, I've been the pro tours before I was involved. Um, so you know who are slower players. You know the ones that, you know, that that could be trying to put you off. Not saying they do try and put you off, but it, there's different elements with, with every every player. Um, and I think the hardest one is when, you, when you've got a slow player and learning to play that slow player. Um but yeah, everyone's getting there with that. That's, that's all. Good. And, and the other thing you say, like you got a set group of players because of COVID last year and the year before, it wasn't. I mean, when we went to Germany last year, I think there's 29 players from the Challenge Tour hmm. played on the Pro Tour, and, and 
that's insane to have that many people out. <laughs> but then, you know, restrictions and travel restrictions, it's, it, it just doesn't work. I mean, now, like you say, it's getting a little bit more back to normal. I think there's only four card holders that aren't playing in, in events one and two. So, you know, I think there will be more norm- normality returning for, for this year. And I suppose, you know, moving on from Alan and the, the Pro Tour, looking on the, the WDF side, Dieter obviously had a fantastic end to the year, picked up six titles in almost as many events. And you got to kind of go over to, to Ireland, to Denmark. Did it feel like there was some element of normality returning with the WDF season getting underway again? Oh, everywhere you went, there was that little bit of... Oh, the, the light at the end of the tunnel is getting brighter. Um, you notice when you turned up at airports. It was, you know, when, when I went to Germany last year, it was literally, or even when, yeah, in, in April last year, 20 minutes to get onto the plane at Heathrow, 20 minutes to get off. You know, it was just, show me this piece of paper, show me that piece of paper. And now, it, you know, you've got apps where you can have everything uploaded and you turn up, you give them your passport, and they went, yeah, you're good to go, here's your boarding pass, and, and you know, you still got to wear your mask on the plane. and that's no problem. I'm, you know, we're used to this now. We're into year three of this, so it, it, just 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 accept it and deal with it. And, and if, if you don't have to wear a mask and you don't want to, don't wear one. But why would you not want to wear one when you're in close proximity to people that you don't know? It, it sort of makes sense. But yeah, but and the, and the events as well. I mean, we we went to a few last year, and you can see how they were adapting, and they're trying to do the social distancing and. And what have you? And when we did Denmark, Budapest, Prague, Kalani, um, and you know every, every event's different. They're all run by different people. They've all got different budgets. They've all got different ideas and levels of experience. But, but they're always good fun events. They always get to the end of it eventually, one way or the other. And <laughs> it's, it's it's still a good tour, and it's where a lot of players cut their teeth. So so it's always good to have players playing on it. Absolutely. And I suppose with Dieter, I mean, I've had kind of first-hand experience watching Dieter, you know, playing and, and being under your guys' management. Is she kind of one of those players that's a blessing to have because she kind of just sorts herself out, she knows what she's doing, and you don't have to be super hands-on all the time? Oh, you, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, what Dieter's done in the game, there's hardly anybody that's done that in the game. And if people can't learn from being around her... Then, then there's nobody you can really, really learn from. And, you, you know, we used to have bags of crisps and stuff like that or, or whatever. You know, now we've got water and we've got things to rehydrate you and we've got snacks to graze on and fruit and all that sort of stuff. And that's just because that's what Dieter does during the day. And you don't play in 341 finals or whatever and win 220 odd tournaments by not being, you know, doing everything right. So, it's, yeah, it's... it's, it's it's a learning curve for me. It's a learning curve for players. Yes, you've got to look at her for guidance. End, end of the day. The other one who had a really strong year last year was Sean McDonald, who was someone you picked up around this time last year after Q School. How was it that you actually kind of went about bringing him on board and, and then kind of explaining what you offered? Because he was still pretty new to it when he came back. He's new to coming back and looking at WDF events and, and stuff like that and the Challenge Tour and, and what goes on that, but he's he's been around darts 
many years before, I think 2003, Youth World Master. Um, and, you know, he's played BDC before, you know, before the tour card era. Um, so so it's, it's a perfect tour environment for, for Sean. He's, he's a very level-headed person. He does the right approach to everything. So the BDC environment suits him a lot better than the WDF environment. Um, but for this year, he's going to focus on the WDF because of work and family and everything like that. It's just going to work out better for him. And you know, we may end up doing one or two challenge tour weekends, but that's not the plan at the moment. The focus is he's in the World Championships. That's that's soon going to come around, like 10 weeks away or whatever it is. Um, and now just, just plan on doing what WDF we can do that fit in with his work and, and see where we go there. But, I mean, it was, it was very unfortunate to miss out on his tour by £100 and was carrying a, a, an injury in his throwing arm for the last two days. And, and you think, on the final block, I think he lost in the final, but then won in that block. You, you, you win the final, you've got a tour card, you're in, you're in the grand slam. So I think that's, that was quite a bitter pill for him to take. He will go away and he will analyse what went wrong, or you know, and he will just learn from it and and, and come back a better Sean. Hmm. I mean, the Q score the, 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 the day he had 102, 101 average, and then lost with a 97. And the guy that beats him loses with a 55 the next day. I mean, that's just unlucky that you've had a guy who had the game of his life against you. You obviously signed him. You then kind of had the experience with him doing the the online league and then at the the challenge tour. Was it that kind of level-headed analytical approach that impressed you most about him? Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it, it, it's it's from his work life. Um, you know, he's he's got a very senior role, and you can't just turn up and and fluke it through the day. And he's the same at darts. You know, it's everything is planned. I'm going to have this much sleep. I'm going to get up. I'm going to prepare myself. I'm going to have breakfast, um, and, and this is how my day is going to be. Mm. And yeah, we we're already planning that for Lakeside. This is when I'm going to fly because I can practice at that time in the afternoon to replicate what I need to do for my game on on Sunday at 7 p.m. And it's 10 weeks away, but it's already planned. I mean, obviously, you talk about Lakeside there. Let's look ahead to to this year. And first up, you've got a busy weekend this weekend, the first Pro Tour weekend of the season and the, the World Seniors. Let's start with the Pro Tour. Obviously, you've got Alan, John O'Shea, Josh. John and Josh are kind of in that environment for, for the first time or first time in a long time in John's case. In your mind, what are the keys for both of them to have a successful start on the Pro Tour? Uh, I think don't have too much expectation. Enjoyment, as we, we always say. You can't not be happy when John's around. It's, it's just a fact. And like with Alan coming down to Q School, they haven't been together since Q School the year before. And it was just endless laughter. <laughs> and, you know, even when you lose, you have your 15 minutes of downtime. And then it's back and you, you're around all the other guys. And you, and, you, and you move on. And no one likes to lose. But there's always another day. Um, so, I, I, you know, I, I think they're both taking it like duck to water because John, for years, has been trying to get there. And now he's got there. And you can just feel the pressure lift off his shoulders so for, uh, now John's got his dart he's happy with um, he's got a set up he's happy with so it's just turning up and, and bashing that board like he can and does all the time um, and just having the confidence on the outer ring and, uh, and he'll be fine and, and, and Josh you know he's 20 years old at that age he's young he's fearless 
Um, he, he's got the game, he's got a great throw, but he's got an old head on his shoulders. You know, he will stop and he will think about the last start or he will use the board to, to the best effect. Um, and that, that can only be a good thing. So, I, I, uh, and obviously with Alan there that's already done it, I think, be, you know, don't worry about who you're drawing. Alan's quite pragmatic about stuff. You know, oh, yeah, he's beat the ball. Yeah, no, don't worry about that. And I'm sure having all three of them together, they're just going to be a brilliant influence to each other in terms of practice and preparation and all that kind of thing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, for the, for the first two blocks, we've got um, we've got two houses that got space. Got we'll have a good practice room in there. Um, as soon as the last man's out on on day one, we'll be back to the house. I'll, I'll sort out dinner. They'll they'll do whatever practice routines they want. Get the Netflix on or music. Um, and, and yeah, just enjoy the evening. Hmm. Uh, get to bed at a reasonable time and, and do it again the next day. Hmm. Yeah, and of course the Pro Tour's changing this year from the blocks of four, the Super Series that they were doing the last couple of years, to just the old traditional two events on a weekend. Hmm. Which of those do you think is the preferable or do you not think it, it makes a huge difference? Um, I think for Alan particular uh, the blocks work a lot better um, for him in the fire service it's far easier for him to get swaps midweek than it is trying to persuade guys to give up their Saturday or their Sunday when they're going to miss football and all this sort of thing so for him the blocks of four and five were, were really good but likewise you know with, with you've got travel so I mean we've, we've got something with a sponsor on Monday so we've got the two days in Barnsley, then we're going to Bolton, then we're staying in Bolton that night, then Alan's going out to Scotland because he's got to do a couple of swaps for people, but we're going to, uh, John, Josh and myself, we're going to stay in Wigan and, and get prepared then, there's no point to, to travel home for them, only to enter the case for it up again and come back again, so it's a bit like Q school then, you're there, you're prepared, you've already had a weekend, you know what to expect, this, this went well, this didn't go so well, let's put those bits right. Um, and, and just go again. And obviously, you've got two Euro qualifiers, which are huge. I mean, now, you know, you touch wood with 13 Euro tours, and they make such a difference to a player's ranking. Um, so, you to get amongst those and get, you know, get to three or four of those or more, it, it really puts them in good stead for the, for the whole year. And then that self same weekend, there's the World Seniors at the Circus Tavern. You've got Wayne and, and Dieter in action. I suppose, first off, are you pleased to see that there are more opportunities specifically now for those those older players? Oh, I think it's a great idea. Obviously, they've got the, the match play coming on and I, I believe there's future events planned and, and possibly even a tour. So, I think that's really good. And be, but bear in mind, both of these players can still compete on the main tour and can still win on the main tour. So, it, it, I think it's a little bit like the golf, really, where... The senior tour is huge now, but the people that are winning the senior tour were the people that won that main tour event, and just now their age allows them to, to, to play in these different events. So I, I think they can be very good for them. Um, you just hopefully you see that they develop into events that are one a month, or you know even if they're smaller events and not just on TV, but just things to get them back out there. I mean, like for, for Wayne, um, he's got seniors this weekend, and we're just booking up Isle of Man for him. Then he's going to have Lakeside, but there's very little WDF stuff where things are getting still cancelled and pushed back two months and pushed back three months. So it's a case of waiting for for the end of the well, not the end of the year. Hopefully June, July. There's going to be nothing. Luxembourg is still on, 
and, and that's that's always a really good event. Um, and, then, and then you've got your Antwerp and, and Sweden and what have you, and we've always done all those events. So, you know, he's not going to feel uncomfortable there. He's been to all of those sort of things. Dieter's going to go to all of them. Ros will go to some. Sean's going to some. So it'll be good to have a little gang there to hopefully feed off each other. With Wayne, I know he's not a particularly big practicer. And as you say, there's not been a lot of, you know, events and stuff. Are you confident that he's going to be match ready for the seniors? I think with Wayne, he's, he's playing back in the Super League and the Pub League in Wales and there's local comps and stuff like that and that just hadn't happened for, for, for well over a year um, and, and that's like sort of his bread and butter because you're out but you're playing proper darts it's not just chucking at home you know you're trying to win and you're trying to win some money beat guys beat mates beat your peers and what have you so I think that's going to be a big help for him that, that that sort of come back um, and now it's just a case of getting back out on stage and, and on tour events um, and just getting back into a routine which has been robbed because of COVID, really. I mean, last last year, we, you know, of course, he, he could have done a few more events, but he was already in, in the World Championships, which sadly has been just delayed. Um, but this year, that's not the case unless he defends his title, then he's in it. But even then, there's still many events that we can do, um, and, and we will do. I mean, you touch on lakes are being moved there. Do you think, in a sense, that the movement's going to be an advantage? Because Dieter obviously had that injury in December. She's hopefully going to be fully fit by April. And, of course, as you say with Wayne, the local darts is up and running for him, and he'll have had a a couple of months to take a run-up at it so that they are probably sharper than they would have been in, in January. Oh, I, th- I think without without a doubt for both of them, it's going to be good. Um, they're going to have events beforehand. I mean, Dieter will have the seniors. She'll have the Iron Man as well. Um, so it's all it's all match practice. And, and then you've got your local Super Leagues and, and, and your Pub Leagues and what have you. So, yeah, I, I, I think he'll be sharper. Dieter will be fitter. I mean, she, she, she was sort of before Christmas actually struggling to lift her arm up and throw her darts. So the fact that she managed to do Q score on the first challenge to a weekend is, is a massive step in the right direction. I mean, it's a big year for the team. Have you got any expectations or, or goals for what you want them to achieve or are you just happy to, to let them set their own targets and work out what they want to do? I, I, I think uh, I think it's too difficult to put like big expectations down. Um, you know, like... Alan's now 51st in the world, for example. Um, he's just on the cusp of being seated on the Pro Tour. Um, and that, I think, is his main goal, is, is to be seated on the Pro Tour, because then it, it's still some massively tough games. But if you are avoiding those other top 31 players in the first game and the second game, it's just making your life a lot easier. So I, I think that's that's an expectation for him. I think I think for for the other two with their new cards, I think it's just about having the right approach, having the right attitude, enjoying it, and just trying to be the best you can. And if it wasn't quite good enough, back on the practice board, and we go again the next week. I, I don't think you can start saying, "Oh, you got to do this, you got to do that." It's you know they they, they both came came to Q school well. Uh, I think they both like the environment. Um, and as we've seen, they can both play some, some amazing darts. So I, I think the three of them will, will really feed off each other. They're super competitive. Uh, we do all the JDC 
Godard's Pro Premium stuff in, in, in the house and, and what have you. And that's the that is almost more competitive than the Pro Tour. Uh, the, the, the slagging off that goes if someone doesn't, you know, get over eight hundred on this or, or whatever is unbelievable. Um, so I, I just think they're three guys that will spur each other on, um, and they'll see each other goals and, and, and achieve them. So uh, I, I mean, from, I, I said to Alan at Ali, Ali Pally on, on the day Vadoza, I think it was. I said, God, can you imagine if we're back here this time next year with three tables? And so, so for me, personally, that would be amazing to have all three of them at World Championships. So I feel like that's my my mini goal for them to achieve. But, um, it, you know, it's their first year, so it's, it's about enjoying it and learning it and, and applying what you, you learn in, in year two and, and moving on from there. Um, but yeah, who knows? They, uh, Alan could be handing over the PDC newcomer to one of them next year, so that would be nice. And I suppose to, to wrap up, I know you're not looking to, to add anyone else to the team at the moment, but I'm always interested to know, as sort of part of a management team, how do you make the decision to, to approach someone to, to bring them on board? Is it you're looking for certain things or does it pretty much vary by person? Oh, it's, it's hard to put something on. I mean, let's just, let's just talk. Uh, let, let's talk about Josh, for example. I went to, to Kalani to, to take the guys over there, do some cooking for them, get into darts, and we we'll have a good time uh, and see how we go. And obviously, Sunday was brilliant because Dita won the ladies and Sean won the men's. Um, so that was fantastic. But I just happened to have a, a chance to peek over a balcony on a Saturday, and I saw this young lad playing darts. And he beat a guy that's 16th seed, I think, at Lakeside. And he beat him 4 0. And it was 140, 180, 1 foot out. It was just unbelievable. So I asked someone who he was. I said, Oh, it's Joshua. So I made sure on Sunday I watched him and he won 4 0. And then he beat uh, Nick Forwell, who's seeded like 6 or something like that. So he beat him 4 0 on stage at 111 average. And I thought, well, Right, OK, this guy's 20. He's got three years on development tour. We, we we could definitely work with this guy and I knew Neil Duff was really friendly with him so I just got in touch with him on Messenger and, and Neil fixed up um, a chat when I was in Prague I called I called Josh for like 25 minutes or whatever and said, you know I'm very impressed with what you're doing this is what we can do um, King Peter Duke School Development Tour what you know whatever you want to do um, and take it from there and you know having had him down at Q School and seeing more about what he was like as darters, him more what he's like as a person. He's absolutely perfect fit for us, um, and he's just yeah, really good guy to be around. Um, and yeah, def- definitely one for, for people to watch and be to be wary of. You you wouldn't want to draw him, I tell you. Well, thank you so much for your time tonight, Paul. I really appreciate it. Uh, look forward to the season ahead. I'm sure it's going to be a busy one, and I'm sure we'll be catching up again soon, whether on the phone or in person. I always enjoy catching up with Paul and I have to say I recall being equally impressed by Josh in Killarney I'd actually watched him on the floor playing Anthony Allen and then Ben Hazel and and Paul and I had a conversation about it while I was there and I also you know said how well I thought he played to to Steve who Steve Holmes who's also part of the big five team and like Paul I fancy Josh to go very well indeed this year one of the most naturally gifted players I've ever watched 
in person. And I think watching somebody tells you far more than just looking at results or dark connect or whatever. Actually watching them and watching the way they approach the hockey and they approach the game tells you an awful lot. I'm looking forward to all the darts getting underway. This feels like a really big weekend. You've got the Pro Tour starting. You've got the World Seniors, which promises to be tremendous fun. Dita and Wayne in action, uh, as well as a load of other legends. I've been watching a lot of Bullseye recently and watching those guys on there. So be good to see the likes of John Lowe and Bob Anderson and Phil Taylor and, and so on in action again. Should be a really fascinating few days. And there's also a WDF competition this weekend and a WDF competition I'll be attending, the Reykjavik International Games. Quite interesting. To register for the tournament, you had to designate what role you were going as uh, for the International Games. And the one that applies to me is an athlete. And I think that will be the only time in my life I'm ever referred to as an athlete. But I'm very much looking forward to playing at the weekend. It's a round robin, so I'll get a number of games for my money and I also know that friend of the show John Scott uh, the man who once referred to me as a dark horse on the dartboard he'll be there playing and be among the top seeds and favourites to win the whole thing and in the women's competition Margaret Sutton is going and hopefully she'll be in the mix as well in terms of home favourites Matthias Fredriksson who's been on the show before he had a fantastic opening weekend on the PDC Nordic and Baltic Tour uh, getting to a couple of quarterfinals and he's obviously in very good nick i'll be bringing you an episode next week and on the road episode hopefully with a, a number of interviews from iceland but in the meantime you can follow me on twitter at am sinclair 97 you can follow the podcast on twitter at inside the wdf you can like the facebook page inside the wdf and you can rate review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts i'll see you next week and in the meantime 